Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. And this morning, uh, we are going to conclude our series, Less Than Perfect. And I'm looking forward to uh, preaching this last message. And uh, uh, we've been in this uh, study of the life of Samson over the last five weeks. And uh, today is going to be the sixth week. And uh, we're learning how God can use us in spite of us. And has anybody learned anything in this series that's been helpful at all? A couple people. That's good. How did somebody learn something? Judges uh, chapter 16 is where we're going to be this morning, and I like, a, I like to preach a message this morning that I've just entitled, Pushing Down Pillars. Pushing Down Pillars. Are you ready this morning? Judges 16, verse number 23, Pushing Down Pillars. The Bible says this, Then the Lord of the Philistines gathered them together for uh, to, for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport, that he can entertain us. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. Everybody say the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there, and they were upon the roof, about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport or entertained them. Verse number 28. And Samson called unto the Lord, and he said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be able to avenge that I may at once avenge of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on it was uh, borne up, and of the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Then his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the burying place of Manoah, his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the time that we've had already in worship and communion. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would be with us for the next few minutes as we uh, look to your word. God, I pray that we can be encouraged. I pray that we can be challenged and inspired and edified together. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, give me the words to say. I pray that we can all uh, learn something and apply it to our lives today, Lord, and leave here differently because of it. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. how many of you have ever attempted 
to do something and the results were less than perfect. Can I see your hands? You tried to do something and it just didn't work out. Uh, a couple years ago when my daughter lived, when she was three years old, uh, we decided that we were gonna try to put her in gymnastics. And uh, we saw some uh, other kids her age, they were kind of getting involved in, with gymnastics. And so we thought this might be a good idea. And so we kind of got excited. And, and I'm not gonna lie, we kind of had some big hopes and dreams for Liv. I mean, I'm not gonna say we were thinking about the Olympics or anything, but I mean, it was an option, you know. So um, uh, we, we were really uh, just getting ready live for uh, the uh, uh, gymnastics that she was about to participate in and so we kind of looked up some videos of other three-year-olds that were in gymnastics and thought okay what are we getting ourselves into what is the potential here and so uh, we this was the first video that we found that that I'm going to show uh, here this morning So I was like, all right, no problem, right? Like, uh, Liv can do this. This should, be, this should be no problem at all. And so we went, we bought her a little outfit, right? And we were getting ready uh, to bring her to gymnastics. She was excited. And, and after her first full day of gymnastics, here was her big shining moment, okay? Okay, go fast. That was it. That was it. So no Olympics for Liv coming up anytime soon. But I got to say, she is pretty cute in that little gymnastics outfit, right? And, uh, and uh, I think one thing that, that we all have in common with Liv, if we're being honest, is we're all pretty good at falling. We're all pretty good at failure, right? Like I think that's one of our greatest things that we have in common this morning is that we all are pretty good at messing things up. We're pretty good at failure. In fact, I think this is even a foundational biblical principle that there is none righteous, no, not one. We all fall. Everybody say fall. We all fall short of the glory of God. And if there's one thing that we have in common this morning is that we're pretty good at failure, as we come to Judges chapter number 16, that's exactly where we find Samson. He has lived this entire life of all these impressive accomplishments and all these great uh, feats of strength. And here he is, and he is uh, experiencing this great failure. He had made mistake after mistake after mistake, and now he's in prison. His eyes are gouged out. They finally caught him. They cut off his hair. And here's Samson. It looks like he's just uh, in the middle of this great failure, which is very unfortunate because as we've seen throughout uh, the life of Samson, he had everything going for him. I mean, all the way back in Judges chapter number 13, his birth was announced by the angel of the Lord, and he was born miraculously uh, to his parents, and he was uh, set apart to be a Nazarite from birth, which meant that God had a specific plan and a specific, a specific calling on his life, and uh, uh, he was to begin to deliver the nation of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. He had this uh, great upbringing, this great uh, promise from the Lord, and then he was even giving, given supernatural strength. He had everything going for him. But instead of using his strength to give God glory, he used his strength to serve his own purposes and his own lust and his own flesh. And we see that Samson gave his life over to lust and gave his life over to sexual sin and just kind of looking for a good time and looking for pleasure. And he made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. And it would be very easy to look at Samson's life this morning in Judges chapter 16 and read the story that we just read. It would be very easy to look at his life and label Samson as a failure. But I want to tell you this morning that failure is an event, never a person. 
Failure is an event, never a person. Hey, you might have failed, but you are not a failure. You, you might have fallen, but that, 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 that falling and that failure is not final. You are not finished because failure is an event. It's never a person. And see, God always wants to use us, and God always has a plan for us, and he always wants to use us to do something great for him. And so uh, Samson, it looks like he's a failure, but God's not done with him yet. I love what the Bible says in Micah chapter 7, verse number 8. It says this. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. Everybody say, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Hey, uh, you can laugh at me. You can limit me. You can label me. You can call me whatever you want to call me. But guess what? If I have fallen, I'm going to get back up again. I might be sitting in darkness, but Jesus is my light. Jesus still has a plan for me. Jesus still has good prosperings for me. He wants a great thing to happen in my life. And so when I mess up... That is an opportunity to get closer to God and to see him work in my life once again. Someone once said our worst uh, fear should not be failure. Our worst fear should be success in areas that don't really matter. And so this morning, what do we do when we fail? What do we do when we fall? What do we do when we get back, uh, when we get off track? Typically, there are two responses to failure. Either we can respond with remorse or repentance. And remorse is when we feel kind of bad about what we did or kind of feel bad about something. We feel even guilty. Maybe we kind of blame shift. Maybe we point fingers at someone and say, this isn't my fault. Samson could have said, I never asked for strength in the first place. I never uh, requested to, to be a Nazarite. This was something that was decided for me. This wasn't my fault. And uh, we can kind of feel remorse when we've gotten off track. But on the other side of things, we can actually show repentance when we've done wrong. And repentance is acknowledging our part in it, acknowledging that we did wrong and pursuing to uh, be restored and pursue to get back on track and to have a change of mind. And so there's this great difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse focuses on the past. Repentance focuses on the future. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10, for godly sorrow, okay, the right kind of sorrow, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. And so the right kind of repentance doesn't leave us feeling uh, with regret and, uh, and uh, we're kind of always feeling bad about things, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And so the right response to failure will lead to a life without regret. And we've got to have this right response. And we're going to learn how Samson is on the road to repentance and how he is going, going to uh, respond to uh, this uh, failure. And so here Samson is. He's, he's uh, been in prison. He's lost his purpose. He's lost his hair. He's lost his vision. And they bring him out, and now he's going to entertain the crowds. He's going to uh, be in this uh, temple, and they're going to laugh at him, and they're going to mock him. And he finds himself positioned between these two pillars. And it's here when he's positioned between the two pillars that one more time God answers his prayer and gives him one more uh, powerful performance and powerful strength to push down these pillars, causing the building to collapse and causing this great victory for uh, the nation of Israel. And so what I want to talk about this morning for a few minutes is how when we've failed, how we can push down the pillars that are holding us back in life. See, I believe that we all have pillars in our lives that need to be pushed down. It might be pride. In your life, maybe it's the pillar of pride that you need to push out of the way. Maybe it's the pillar of anxiety and worry that needs to be pushed down. Maybe it's the pillar of greed in your life that's kind of uh, keeping you back that you need to push down. I wonder in your life, what pillar would God have you push down? 
because when we uh, experience failure in life, we can either kind of just feel remorse and kind of just keep on doing what we're doing, or we can respond with repentance and allow God to give us the strength to push down the pillars that are holding us back and get back on track spiritually. See, uh, in the New Testament, the author, author of Hebrews, he put it this way, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And so he says, hey, if you want to get back on track and you want to run the race that God has for you, you're going to lay, lay aside every weight. You're going to push down the pillars. You're going to get some things uh, out of the way so that you can run the race that God has for you. And so this morning, here's the question. How can we do it? How do we get back on track when we've fallen, when we've failed, when we're kind of drifting spiritually? How do we get back on track? There's three ways this morning that I believe that we can push down pillars and get back on track. Are you ready this morning? Are you ready this morning? Three ways. Number one, number one, realign your worship. Realign your worship. Many times the reason that we get off track spiritually is because our worship is not in alignment. We've begun to worship something. We've begun to give something our priority that does not deserve number one priority in our lives. Romans 1.25 says it this way, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And see, when a job becomes first place in your life or when a relationship becomes first place in your life or when a hobby becomes first place in your life or some pastime becomes first place in your life, whatever that is, that thing is created and we have become, become to uh, worship the created thing rather than the creator of all things. And so often the reason why we struggle in life and the reason why we experience this difficulty is because our worship is out of alignment. We've begun, we've begun to worship the created things and the created beings rather than the creator God that created those things. And so often our worship is out of alignment. When we come to Judges chapter 16 and we see this uh, scene unfolding, what we see is misplaced worship, okay? And I want you to see their praise, first of all, in verse number 23. We see this misplaced worship. Notice verse 23. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice. Everybody say a great sacrifice. A great sacrifice unto Dagon, their God, and to rejoice, for they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And so we see that they're having this uh, great Thanksgiving celebration. They're having their own Thanksgiving service. They're having their own little praise party, except the only thing is it's for the wrong God. And it's interesting that they were mo more devoted to their false God than the Israelites were devoted to the one true God. Notice how devoted they were. Uh, they made a great sacrifice unto their God. They, they rejoiced. They, they were celebrating. This was great. They had finally caught Samson. They're praising their God. They were praising uh, this God, Dagon. Now, Dagon was the uh, primary God of the Philistines, and uh, this was kind of their their main deity that they would uh, look to and that they would worship. Dagon, most commentators agree that, uh, that this Dagon was uh, known as the fish god. Dagon, his upper body was that of a human. His lower body was that of a fish, making him essentially a merman, uh, which uh, to me, he loses all credibility because I just don't know how you can take a merman very seriously. But there they were, and uh, they are worshiping uh, Dagon, and they're praising, and they're, they're celebrating this. It's all great. There was this big coliseum, this big amphitheater that they in. The Bible tells us that 3,000 people could be on the roof, a couple more thousand below. And so it was packed out, and they're, they're just praising Dagon. It's a joyous occasion. Notice verse number 24. And when the people saw him, Samson... When they saw him, watch this, they praised their God. 
And there's a lot of sad verses in the story and the narrative of Samson, but this is at the top of the list for me because the very sight of Samson brought glory to the wrong God. They looked at Samson, and what did they do? They praised their God. And see, it ought to be the desire of our hearts that when people look at our lives, when people look at your life, when people look at my life, that they see Jesus in us and they give God the glory and God gets the glory in our lives. I wonder when people look at you, what do they see? Because they just looked at Samson. They were so happy because they caught Samson. They finally captured Samson. Now they're giving praise to their God. See, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And so the very sight of Peter and John gave glory to Jesus. The very sight of Samson brought glory to Dagon. Who is getting the glory in your life? Is your life giving glory and honor to the one true God? Or is it bringing glory to Self. See, the Bible says this in Psalm 29, verse number 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. The glory that is due unto his name. Can I remind you this morning that we were created to give glory to his name. We were created to give, to give glory to the one true God. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. And when we get off track in life, when we start to fall, when we start to fail, when we start to mess up, and when we start to struggle, hey, check your worship. Make sure it's in alignment. Make sure that you have not started to worship the created thing. Make sure that your priorities are seeking first the kingdom of God and that your life is giving glory and honor to the one that deserves the glory and honor his name is Jesus Christ that we are not giving glory to the things around us that we are not bringing glory to ourselves, but that we are reflecting the glory that belongs to God and God alone here's Samson the very sight of him is bringing glory to the wrong God they said our God had delivered into our hands our enemy and the, the destroyer of our country with, which slew many of us. Samson had killed so many of us. He's been causing problems for so long and now they're just all celebrating and uh, having a great time. Notice verse number 25. If you're still with me this morning, would you say amen? amen. And it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson. Their hearts were merry. That was basically a term that they were drunk. And so they were drinking, they were celebrating, thousands of people there. When their hearts were merry, they said, call for Samson that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport, and they set him between the pillars. And this, this idea of making him sport, they, they brought Samson out really to shame him. Most commentators say that they would have stripped the clothes off of him. They would have set him out in the middle, and they would have asked him to do all kinds of things. And they're mocking him. They're laughing at him. They're saying, entertain us, uh, Samson. And now he's experiencing this great persecution. And so we see the praise of the Philistines. They're praising Dagon. We see the persecution. They're persecuting Samson now. And the Bible talks a lot about persecution. The Bible talks a lot about trials and pain and this type of persecution. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 or number 11 says this, Blessed are ye when, ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Everybody say for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And so Jesus makes it very clear that when we stand up for Christ and when we stand up for biblical values, some persecution is going to accompany that. And a lot of times we're afraid to stand up for truth because we're afraid of what people might think. But the truth is, is when we do stand for biblical values, persecution will uh, come along with that. But here Samson is experiencing persecution not because he was standing up for what's right, but because he did what was wrong. 
Samson had lived a life totally for himself and totally for self-gratification, and now he's experiencing this great difficulty. And the truth is, when our worship is not in alignment, when we have begun, uh, begun to worship something that we should not worship, sometimes God will allow difficulty to come into our lives to get our attention. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as, as unto children. My son, despise not now the chastening of the Lord nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every one whom he receiveth. And so sometimes when we are uh, 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 getting off track and our worship is not in alignment, when we are not worshiping God personally and corporately the way that he deserves, sometimes God will allow this difficulty, not because uh, he's trying to be mean or not because he's trying to hurt us, but because he's trying to help us because he loves us and he wants to see us get back on track. And here's Samson. We saw last week he was asleep on Delilah's lap and here God is trying to get his attention and wake him up to the reality of the situation the Bible says this in Psalm 86 verse number 10 speaking about how God alone deserves our worship for thou art great everybody say great and dost wondrous things thou art God alone and if you don't hear anything else this morning hear this Jesus alone is worthy of our worship he is the alpha and the omega the first and the last he is the lion of the tribe of Judah the bright and morning star he is the king of kings the lord of lords hey he alone is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise he is before all things and by him all things consist so here they are, and they're just praising Dagon. They're having this big celebration, but they're robbing glory that belongs to God. Be very careful in your life when something is not reflecting the glory back to God, because that's why we were created, to give God glory, to reflect his name, to make him famous. And so when we get off track, if you want to push down pillars to get back on track, you've got to realign your worship. Make sure that you are worshiping Jesus alone and nothing else. Number two this morning, you've got to recognize God's grace. So realign your worship. Ask yourself, is anything out of alignment? I've been spending a lot of time doing this. Maybe my priorities are out of whack a little bit. I need to get back to uh, focusing in on, on Jesus alone. And then we've got to recognize God's grace. Now, grace is something that we often have a misconception about or maybe a misunderstanding about. And I'm trying to teach my children about grace a little bit. And, uh, and uh, sometimes when Liv or Luke, when they disobey, and I'll kind of come in and talk to them, and, and, uh, and I'll, I'll be getting ready to tell them their punishment, you know. And sometimes I'll say, uh, but today I'm going to give you grace. And so you're not going to get a punishment. You're not going to get a spanking. I'm going to give you grace. And so they've learned that and picked up on that. And now they love grace, right? And so uh, the, other day, uh, the other day I walked into the room, and Luke was supposed to be sleeping, and, and uh, he was up playing with his toys. And I walked in there firmly, and I said, Luke. And he said, I want grapes. And... Uh, <laughs> This whole time, he thought I was talking about grapes. And I was like, Luke, you can't have any grapes. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes we recognize the grace of God, but there's often a misconception about our application of the grace of God. And we understand that God's grace is undeserved favor, and we can't operate uh, in our own flesh, but we've got to trust in God's grace. But so often, even though we know that, we still try to do things our own way. We still try to do things in our own strength, like I can handle this, I got this, and we're not relying on the grace of God in our lives. And Samson is about to have a very real encounter and understanding of uh, the grace of God in his life. Notice verse number 26. It says this, And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the 
pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. And so he tells this lad, which in the Hebrew is Nahor, it actually uh, could mean servant. And so it most likely wasn't a little boy that was just kind of holding Samson's hand. They probably wouldn't trust a little boy to, uh, to guard the great Samson. This was most likely his prison guard. In fact, uh, Benjamin in the book of Genesis, he's referred to as a lad after he had 10 children. Okay, so uh, uh, Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, suffer me that I may fill the pillars. He says, I'm a little bit tired. Can, can you direct me to the pillars so I can kind of uh, lean on them because I'm, because I'm uh, tired? Verse number 27. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. So all of the important people, all the leaders of the Philistines, all the, the captains and all these different people, they were all there, men and women, 3,000 uh, people just on the, on the roof, it says. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And so you can kind of imagine the scene, a crowded atmosphere. Everyone's drunk. This is this big wild party. Everyone's praising Dagon. He's there in a prominent position. In fact, many believe that this is Dagon's temple that they're at. And so it's this big uh, celebration for this, this false deity. And Samson asked this lad, can you put me in between these two pillars? And for the second recorded time in Samson's life, he does something. He prays. He recognizes that he's in a difficult spot. He recognizes that this is not a good situation that he's in. And so he reaches out and he prays to God, which is very commendable because many times when we're in a difficult situation, the last thing we do is pray and reach out to God, even though we know that's what we should do. Um, in, in the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles, uh, King Asa, who had experienced many great victories from the Lord, it says this at the end of his, li at the end of his life in 2 Chronicles 16, 12, and Asa, in the 30 and ninth year of his reign, was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great, yet in his disease he sought not the Lord, but to the physicians. And so King Asa, he had experienced God do some great things in his life, great victories, but when it came down to the end of his life, he should have been seeking the Lord and seeking after God to heal him. Instead, he just kept going uh, to the physicians and not seeking after God. And so Samson here recognizes, man, I need to reach out to God, and he prays. Now, uh, this was not a perfect prayer from Samson. Uh, uh, just like many things in Samson's life, this prayer was less than perfect. Uh, at the end, he's like, I just want to get revenge for my two eyes. <laughs> and uh, he was still kind of angry, never could get over that. But there were some elements to this prayer that brought honor and glory to God. And there were some elements of this prayer that God honored because he answered this prayer. And I want to see what they are. First, this was a prayer of respect. Notice verse number 28. And Samson called unto the Lord... He called unto the Lord. Now, Samson, in this prayer, he's going to use three different Hebrew names for God. The first name that he uses is Yahweh. This is what the, uh, the word Lord there in your Bible it might be in all caps, and that is the uh, uh, personal name for God, Yahweh. It's his covenant name. It means self-existent one. It means the eternal one. It's back from Exodus chapter number three when, when, when God responds to Moses out of the burning bush saying, I am that I am. He is the self-sufficient, all-sufficient one. He's, he cries out to God, and he says, Yahweh. And said, oh, Lord God. And he, and he mentions uh, Lord again for the second time. Now, this is a different name for Lord. It's not Yahweh. It's not uh, the great I am. This one is Adonai. And it's a, it's a term for God used in respect and used of giving reverence and honor. And so you can see when Samson is coming to God, he's not coming to someone that he's unfamiliar with. And he's not coming to someone that he knows nothing about. He first says, Yahweh, the covenant name. You're the great I am, the self-existent one. Oh, Lord, Adonai. This was a great term of respect and honor and reverence. And he says, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me. I pray thee only this once, oh, 
God. And this is uh, the third name, different name for God that he uses. It's the Hebrew word Elohim. And this is a name that is specifically used to reference God's power and God's strength. And so you can see when Samson comes to God and he references just in this short prayer, three different names for God. Yahweh, the self-existent one. Lord, Adonai, this term of respect and reverence, and oh, God, Elohim, this term of power and strength, and he's saying, God, uh, you deserve this honor and this respect, and I'm coming to you very humbly and asking you uh, to help me in this situation. See, we can approach God freely, but we must approach God with reverence and the honor that he deserves. So oftentimes, we rush into God's presence and say, God, do this in my life, and God, where are you at? And God, you better do this in my life, or this is going to happen, and we, we rush into God's presence, but we have to remember, Hebrews 12 verse 28 says, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. Watch this with reverence and godly fear. We must approach God with reverence and honor and respect. And so often we come to God so freely and flippantly and uh, there's, there's this lacking respect that God deserves. And so this was a prayer of respect, but it was also a prayer of recognition. Because notice what Samson says now. He says, Samson called him to the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me. For the first time, finally, finally, Samson acknowledges where his strength comes from. Finally, he says, God, remember me. I need you to strengthen me. All throughout his life, he thought, man, I'm going to be strong enough. Why did he tell Delilah that, that, that the secret to his strength lied within his hair and, and uh, with the Nazarite vow? And he, he, he told her uh, everything. He told her all his heart. Why? Because he thought that he would still be strong. He thought he could do it himself. And now he's come to the end of himself, and he's finally saying, God, I'm weak without you. Can I tell you this morning, you will never experience God's strength unless you are willing to express your weakness. You're never going to experience God's strength and God's power in your life if you're not willing first to express your weakness and say, God, I'm, I'm not enough unless you come. God, I'm not enough. I can't do this. Will you strengthen me? And what he's doing here is he's finally recognizing God's grace. God, I'm nothing. I'm weak without you. God, it's not about what I can do. I'm recognizing now that you're the one that contains the strength, and you are the one that can give me a great victory. I love what Andrew Murray said. He said, when we pray for the Spirit's help, we will simply fall down at the Lord's feet in our weakness. There, we will find the victory and the power that comes from his love. When we come to him in our weakness and come to his feet in our weakness, God says, that's when I'll give you my strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that even when I feel weak, God says, I can still use you and I can still give you my strength. In fact, I can't give you my strength until you express your weakness. And so this morning, if you feel like you can't do it, if you feel like something is over your head, if you feel like you're too weak and man, I don't know if I can take it another step. Hey, that's good news because God says you are now a candidate that can be used of God greatly. And now I want to give my power in your life and I want to use you in a great way. Is anybody thankful today? for the grace of God that even when we are weak, God says, I can give you my strength, but you've got to recognize God's grace. We've got to stop trying to do things in our own strength and how strong can we be and how great can we be? No, we need to be like Samson and say, God, remember me and strengthen me. God, I need your help because without you, I'm nothing. I pray thee only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And so uh, technically, if we were to continue this outline, it was a prayer of respect, 
It was a prayer of recognition, and it was a prayer of revenge <laughs> because Samson still wanted to get even with the Philistines, and he still uh, wanted to uh, get revenge for his eyes, and he couldn't quite get over that. We see that if we're going to push down the pillars in life that hold us back, we're going to get back on track spiritually. We've got to realign our worship. We've got to recognize God's grace. But number three this morning, we've got to reignite our faith. If you got one more in you, would you say amen? We've got to reignite our faith. Notice Samson and his strength in verse number 29. It says this, And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And so here's Samson. He's getting ready to ask God to do something special, ask God to do something miraculous. He prayed and requested God's strength. And he stretches out his arms to those pillars. And I want you to see this. As Samson stretches out his arms, he's also stretching out his faith. Because imagine if Samson is there with all of his enemies laughing him and mocking him, and he stretches out his hands and begins to push those pillars and nothing happens. They're going to laugh at him all the more, right? They're going to say, who is this fool? What is he trying to do? And Samson prayed and he believed by faith that God was going to do something and that God was going to give him uh, his strength once again. And so we see that as he's stretching his arms, he's also stretching his, his faith and he's asking God to do something special to give him that strength once again. Now, now, now please hear me because Samson, he is not the hero of the story, right? Like, like almost everything that Samson does is a mistake. Even in his last moments, he's still kind of filled with revenge a little bit. Samson is not a great role model, Okay, he's not someone that we want to be more like Samson. He's not a great role model. But there was one area of his life that God did honor. And there was one area of Samson's life that is commendable. And it's this area of faith. Because if we were to fast forward to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter number 11, which is known as the hall of faith, notice what the Bible says. What, and what more shall I more say? For the time would uh, fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson. What's he doing in there? Samson messed up time and time and time again. Samson lived for himself. He lived for his lust. He lived for his own desires. And here he's listed in the hall of faith. And of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith, everybody say faith, Subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of the weakness were made strong. wonder who that's about. Out of the weakness were made strong. Waxed valiant in fight, turned uh, to, to, to flight the armies of, of the aliens. See, Samson was less than perfect in so many ways, but God said, I'm going to honor your faith. He stretched out his faith. See, I want to tell you this morning, if you've gotten off track, if you're drifting spiritually, I want to encourage you to reignite your faith and begin to walk by faith once again and say, God, I don't understand everything that's going in my life, but God, I want to trust you that you can bring the victory in my situation. I'm not going to trust in myself, but I'm going to trust only in you. Hebrews 11:6 6 says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This morning, can I ask you this? Are you trusting God today? I, I know that we can say we're trusting him for salvation, but are we trusting him in everyday circumstances? Are we trusting him at work? Are we trusting him in our finances? 
Are we trusting him in our relationships? Are we trusting God today? Are we walking by faith? Because God honored Samson's faith, and so we see his strength, but I want you to see his, uh, his story. Notice verse number 30. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and all the people that were therein. So God honored his faith. God honored that prayer. And Samson there stretched out his arms against the pillars, and he broke those pillars, causing a domino effect, and, and the whole place collapsed. And Samson, he, he, he gave his life for this victory. And, you know, we could think, man, you know, that, that, that's great that Samson gave his life and that he, he died for this great cause. But I want to tell you this. Real men of God, they died daily. Real men of God, like Paul said, I'm going to die to my flesh daily. On a daily basis, I'm going to say, God, this is not about me. It's about you. And whatever you want to do in my life, I'm going to die to my flesh, and I'm going to surrender to your spirit. I'm going to surrender to your plan. See, that's what real men of God do. Real men of God, it's not just about being physically strong. and It's not just being a man's man and being real tough. Real men of God say, you know what? I'm going to die to my flesh daily, and I'm going to surrender my will to God's will. And whatever God wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. For me, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Samson gave his life, and then we see his story. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And that's what Samson's remembered for. Death killing. So many people died. That's his story. But Samson's story is connected to a much greater story. And I've tried to communicate this throughout this series that, you know, the real hero is not Samson, and Samson uh, only could begin to deliver the nation of Israel because he was only a temporary deliverer because there was a, a true and better and greater deliverer, a true and better and greater Savior, and his name is Jesus. And I've tried to make it very clear that the reason why we study Samson is not to be more like Samson. The reason we study Samson is to point us ahead and to see Samson's place in the greater redemptive narrative, to see Samson's place in, in, in the salvation story, and to point us ahead to Jesus. And many people have uh, compared and contrasted Samson's death to the death of Jesus and how it's very different in some ways and it's, how it's very similar in some ways. The death uh, of Samson was really the result of his own sin. But the death of Jesus was for the sin of others. Samson's death achieved a limited role. He got a temporary victory over the Philistines, but they came back. But when Jesus died, it was completed, it was finished, it was final once and for all. Hebrews 10:10 10, 10 says by the which we we will uh, by the which we by the which will we are sanctified sometimes King James the the the, the flow of it uh, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all once and for all is anybody thankful that the work of Jesus Christ was once and for all this is good news we can celebrate that on Thanksgiving Sunday once and for all right but in so many ways Samson's end is a picture, and it's a shadow of Jesus' death. And Tim Keller, one author, he, he points out so many differences or, or so many similarities, and I want to read them very quickly this morning. First, both Samson and Jesus were betrayed by someone who acted as a friend, Delilah and Ju Judas. 
Both were handed over to Gentile oppressors. Both were tortured and changed and put on public display to be mocked. Both were asked to perform, although Jesus, unlike Samson, refused. Both died with arms outstretched, and both apparently uh, were completely struck down by their enemies, yet both in their death crushed their enemies, Samson, the Philistines, and Dagon, Jesus, the ultimate enemy, Satan. So there's many of these similarities, but I want you to notice the major crucial difference, okay? And we'll be done this morning but I believe that we can find great encouragement through this. There's one more major difference. Notice verse number 31. Then his brethren, all the house of his father, came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael and the burying place of Manoah, his father, and he judged Israel 20 years. That's the end of his story. That's it. You read chapter 17, verse number 1. Samson's done. A new man, Micah, he's entering the narrative. Samson's story is done. His burial was final. It was once and for all. And that is the greatest difference between Samson, a temporary deliverer, and the true and greater and best deliverer, Jesus. Because when Jesus was buried, it was not the end of his story. It was only the beginning. Because I want to declare to you today that Jesus conquered the grave. He did not stay buried. He conquered the grave once and for all. And I want to tell you that he is alive today and he wants to work in your life even if you feel less than perfect Jesus says you are a great candidate so I can use you for my glory Jesus conquered the grave he is the greater deliverer he is the greater Savior and because Jesus conquered the grave I want to tell you here's the best news here's the great news we can too his resurrection the Bible says are first fruits I love what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And so because Jesus is all powerful, and because Jesus could conquer the grave, and because he is great and he conquered death in the grave, hey, so can we. That was the first fruits. We too can experience resurrection. We too can meet Jesus in the air. We too can conquer death. We don't have to fear death. We can have life eternal because of what Jesus did for us on the cross and because he was raised again. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's the gospel. Please hear me. See, we have so many questions sometimes about what about this and what about that and, and what about people that believe this and what about that book and what about... Listen, this is the gospel. Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. If you believe that Jesus is alive and Jesus conquered the grave, believe that and thou shalt be saved. We have so much proof for resurrection. There's so much evidence for it. We know that Jesus is alive today. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so that is the greatest news in all of the world. That is the gospel message. And this morning, I want to encourage you today, if you've gotten off track a little bit, if you've fallen, if you've failed, I want to encourage you to push down those pillars. To say, you know, I'm going to get back on track again. Proverbs 24, 16, for a just man falls seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. I want to close with this uh, story. Uh, the other day, uh, we took our kids to mini uh, putt-putt golf, and uh, we decided that we were going to kind of have a family day, and some of you are like, he's talking about his kids again. <laughs> and uh, we were having a family day, and we went uh, to miniature golf, and uh, uh, it was a fun day. 
uh, Liv and Luke, they were both getting very frustrated, though, because, you know, if you've ever played miniature golf, you know, they have all the, all the little hills and all the difficult things, and they, didn't, they couldn't really get the ball into the hole. And Luke, he didn't really care how many times he hit it. He just kept on swinging as hard as he could, and that ball was going flying everywhere. And, and uh, Liv was getting so frustrated. She just kept on, like, kind of like a hockey puck. She was just, like, dragging the ball, trying to get it into the hole, you know. And uh, they were frustrated. They couldn't really get the ball into the hole. And after that experience, we kind of left. And they, they kind of had fun, but also they were frustrated because they couldn't really get it right. And after that experience, I, I read an interesting story about how there's a miniature uh, putt-putt uh, course in Florida, and it's designed to be child-friendly. And they designed this course to kind of like be angled. And if you kind of look down at the little fairway, you can kind of see that every hole kind of was angled into the hole. And so really, no matter where you hit the ball, it'll kind of fall into the hole. And uh, they did this because they wanted to have uh, the children kind of experience the thrill of victory and see the ball go into the hole, you know. And, and so that's what it was designed for. And I thought about that, and I thought... I believe that that is how God wants us to design our lives, that, that we can create a lifestyle and des design our lives to function, that it can flow towards success, that we don't have to live life frustrated and, and like Samson all the time, angry and mad and upset, but we can actually design our lives and set ourselves up for victory if we follow these biblical principles. How do we do it? We realign our worship and we praise God and we make sure that he gets all the glory in our lives. We, we recognize God's grace and say, man, I can't do it on my own. And, and uh, and uh, what's the third point this morning? What's the last thing that we got to do? We reignite our faith. There we go. We do these things and we can set ourselves up for spiritual victory so that we can experience uh, the victory that only Jesus can give. And so I want to encourage you this morning to realign your worship and to say, God, this is all about you. It's not about me. And to push down those pillars that might be holding you back today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.